Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. As lockdown continues, so too does our journey with Dream 15, where we invite a guest to come along and select their favourite 15 players based on whatever criteria they want. It could be their favourites, it could be the absolute all-time greatest, it could be cult heroes, it could be a mixture of all of these things. And this week I was joined by Sam Roberts, who is a voice you'll probably be quite familiar with, there's a lot of commentary for the likes of BT and Channel 5, on, particularly on the English rugby, so on the, uh, on the Premiership. And he's also a rugby writer, writes for the likes of Rugby World and also for the Rugby Paper. And alongside all of that, he's a, a big Wales rugby fan, despite being born and growing up in England. And we spoke about all of these things and the players who made it into his side, which again is a real mixture and some fantastic stories and and uh, some fantastic characters within there as well. So hopefully you'll really enjoy this one. Hopefully we've got some great ones lined up for you in the future weeks too. So looking forward to recording those. And of course, a big thanks as always to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get your hands on some great quality coffee, you can do that by going to socoffeetrades.co.uk. Right, sit back, relax and enjoy another episode of Dream 15 by the Attacking Scrum. News just coming through on that. Perry injured in the first half, remember. This is O'Driscoll! He's gone through! Oh, he's going! O'Driscoll for the post! Brian O'Driscoll! Oh, you beauty! That is incredible! Welcome to another episode of Dream 15 by the Attacking Scrum. I'm delighted to say that my guest this evening is Sam Roberts, who you will, of course, know from uh, his commentaries on the Aviva Premiership, or the uh, the Gallagher Premiership, as we are now. And uh, it's going to be an interesting one, this, Sam, because you're used to... <laughs> To calling things with a, a very unbiased hat on, but now you've got that you've got that removed. You've got the opportunity to uh, to, to voice your opinion and, and leave the, uh, the the professional broadcasting thing to one side. 
Well, thank you, Jed. Thank you for having me on. Uh, hello to all the attacking Scrum listeners. Uh, yes, um, this was absolutely hellish for me to try and put together. Uh, I, I, I found myself, as you say, trying to be fair to everyone. And in this sort of thing, you can't be, can you? You can't be. And I, I then had to sort of piece it all together. I had to be honest and say, when I close my eyes, who do I see in that shirt? And that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of what I went with. And, and I think maybe what you're after. It's exactly what we're after, but it's it's been amazing actually. The, so the guests we've had on and how how seriously people have taken it. You know, we had we had James Hook talking to us about you know how uh, how he didn't want to pick any Welsh players because he didn't want to have to deliver the message to them, <laughs> but they wouldn't be in there. You know, as if they'd be bothered. You know, as if uh, oh, no. as if Shane are. Williams would be gutted that he didn't make a, that he didn't make James Hook's dream fifteen. Well, but, I uh, hope some of the people on my list are hanging on my every word. I have to say, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm sure they are. And uh, yeah, there's going to be some difficult uh, some difficult conversation but like Graham Henry on the 2001 Lions you know you might, you might have players banging at the uh, banging at the door asking an explanation as to why they're not in the side yeah absolutely absolutely well look we're, we're really really excited to uh, to hear who makes it into your team we're going to start as we always do with loose head prop um but actually before we do that I'm you know obviously we're, we're familiar with your work as a, as a as a as a broadcaster as a writer but what about as uh, as a rugby fan tell us a bit about kind of um uh, I guess you know as you were growing up did you watch a lot of rugby where did you where did you watch that who were those those players you admired as you as you kind of first got into the sport yeah I mean rugby as for many people um is something that is sort of handed down isn't it really it it, it often is not something that that you that you find on your own it is something that that, that sort of brings a family around a television it brings a family out on a Sunday morning um, I, I grew up um, as the son of uh, <laughs> uh, a Welshman who had um, set up home in England, uh, as far east as uh, as Milton Keynes. I was actually born uh, in Newport Pagnell, which is just outside Milton Keynes, and, and, and ended up growing up in Bedford, which was not too far away. Um, but, you know, he, he passed down. He, his family is originally from... Uh, from Morriston in Swansea, mm. and uh, he, we, we would go back there for obviously all the best Welsh things like funerals. Uh, we would uh, we would go back there uh, on on a pretty regular occurrence, see family, and I, and there was there was no two ways about it. I was I was uh, made to uh, understand about my my Welshness and my heritage. My mum actually uh, is sort of half Welsh. She she had an English mother and a, and a Welsh father as well, uh, and and so you know th- that was very much part of of where I am and what I came from. I mean. Um, I grew up in England. I grew up in a middle-class, leafy sort of uh, home county suburb, um, as far away from any sort of um, working-class Welsh roots that I that I possibly could could lay my hand to. Uh, and so, you know, it is a little incongruous that that I that I am there, and it, it certainly does frustrate um, some people that I meet because, obviously, you know, to listen to me and to to hear from me you'd think I was English all over. But unfortunately, these things, they stay with you. And uh, and, and I sort of grew up um, uh, in the 1980s and the early 1990s having to support Wales. Now, anyone who would have supported Wales through the 1980s and the early 1990s would have known that that was not an easy task. That was not easy. That was not straightforward. There was something that you had to do out of honour and love and, and, and sort of a devotion. Uh, and, and it sort of stays with you. Um, and, you know... A funny story. I'm born in Newport Pagnell, and my my wife, who I met at the age of 16, uh, and have known obviously for a great deal of time, we have this running joke about me being Welsh, and she, and she sort of says, "No, you're English," and I say, "No, I'm Welsh." And the, the more it goes on, especially around sort of February, March time, it really flares up. Um, but they, 
I was born in a place called Newport Pagnell. Now, about 10 years ago, I sent my passport off to get renewed. Uh, and I had to uh, I had to go down to Petit France down in London because, as with many people, I'm sure you're, you're late when you sort of send off your passport. And I had to go down there and fill, filled out the forms and, and sent it over and gave them a, an exorbitant amount of cash to sort of rush this passport through. When I got the passport back, my place of birth had not been recorded properly. It had gone from Newport Pagnell to Newport. Now, of course, uh, I've been to Newport. Uh, I've played at Celtic Manor. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm obviously, you know, sort of aware of where it is. But suddenly, I was given this passport, which actually allowed me to pretend that I'd been born in Wales, and it was absolutely fantastic. And it, and it, it further damaged uh, my relationship with my wife to the point where, you know, as I say, Six Nations uh, ramblings became even more uh, sort of fun and even more sort of pointed. And uh, I could almost get the uh, passport out and prove to people <laughs> I was born in Wales, even though I wasn't I was born in Newport Pagnell which is outside Milton Keynes but there you go in a long roundabout sort of way that, that's where it is that's where my love affair comes from I haven't mentioned any players but you know to a certain extent I was supporting um you know sort of Welsh rugby and, and Wales uh, growing up uh, and, and getting through things from that from that point of view I imagine that must have been a, a, a hangover from the '90s there, when uh, when passports were turning up from Brett Simkinson and uh, and Shane Howarth, and uh, I, I think that's it. They must have thought, oh, the the, the money spinners back. We can just, uh, just write Newport on it. It'll do for it. It'll do for the uh, for the world well, rugby like, body. It was a it was a massive mistake, uh, but but for, for well, it wasn't a massive mistake. It was a very small mistake, but it was it made it made uh, made me laugh a great deal. Uh, but but growing up, I'm, I played at a club. My first game of rugby was was for Olney uh, Rugby Club, which is a fantastic uh, mini uh, and, and junior rugby club, uh, just sort of uh, in the town of Olney, just outside Milton Keynes. A lot of good players have come through that sort of stretch, and I, I saw it recently uh, recognised for all his efforts uh, with a with an actual. Um, from the Queen, actually, uh, Olney Rugby Club. It's done incredibly well. I started playing sort of junior rugby through there. And then I was fortunate enough, my mum my and dad were, were had done well enough in life to to send me to a to a good school over in Bedford and we ended up moving back in Bedford. And and I and I my, my rugby then became school rugby and, and I played uh, all the way through Bedford School uh, and, uh, and enjoyed, you know, sort of uh, all of the rugby that was that was given to me via via school. And and obviously that that's a that's a place which is you know continuing to produce on pretty regular occasions, you know, sort of very good England quality rugby players and uh, Scotland quality rugby players and things like that. So I was very lucky and, and, and my rugby sort of became, you know, sort of part of, of, of a school fabric and, and that's that's where I got to. I, I I wasn't ever so good. I thought I was a lot better than I was. Um, I, I played uh, I played sort of representational sort of junior county rugby and East Midlands trials and things like that, but I wasn't good enough to, to, to make it any further. I was certainly a little bit... Uh, I was certainly a little bit wet when it came to uh, fully throwing myself into the tackling side of things, and 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 you know I I then started to step back and and I got involved actually at the age of about nineteen when I was what I would have been about twenty two, I actually got a job with Bedford Blues uh, when they were in the Premiership. I was selling advertising hoarding and and advertising. Uh, uh, well, hospitality to, uh, to to sponsors of, uh, of Bedford Blues, and and got involved with 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 a club on that side of things, and then the PA man who was uh, in charge then, a lovely man by the name of Harry Stillman, uh, said to me, "I need someone to help me on a match day with with some mic work. Uh, you sound like you've got a big gob. Why don't you give it a go?" And uh, and and that's how I got into sort of the media side of rugby things, and I owe most of my 
uh, career to what Bedford Blues gave me and, and how they sort of allowed me to sort of skip up the ladder, get involved with local radio, cover them. And, you know, and I also, to somebody who's going to be mentioned a little bit later, really, you know, the sort of era of, of Mike Rare coming into Bedford Blues and, and what he did and what he did for, for me and, um, and, and my son, for instance, is, is will never be forgotten. You know, I owe that club a huge amount. You know, I never played for them at uh, top level, uh, but uh, I'm treated uh, as, as as one of their own and I will never, ever, you know, sort of be able to fully repay that debt, I feel. You know, rugby clubs are so much more than just rugby. They're about community, they're about union, and, and that and that club has done a huge amount for me. So in a in a very brief and potted history, that, that's where I'm coming from, and I hope it makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And yeah, wonderful, uh, a wonderful nod to, uh, to Bedford Blues Rugby Club there. And as you say, I, I dare say we'll be talking about the, uh, the strong Welsh connection with that club in the form of, uh, in the form of Mikey Rare later on. And again, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something regular listeners know I could do for hours. So I look forward to getting, to, getting on to that. But let's start, uh, let's start where the magic really happens in the front row. Uh, talk us through your, uh, your options uh, for loose head prop. Well, my options for loose head prop were when I, when, I, when you look at it, you know the names that sort of come out from from when I was watching and when I was thinking about rugby. You know, w- one of the big names is, is someone like Jason Leonard. Obviously, mm-hmm. you, you can't you can't step away from the amount of games that he played and and the the, the fulcrum he was for, for for a very good English side. But you know, I, I also look you know sort of more more recently at the likes of of, of Tendai Matuara and, and how he's done what he's done. Mako Runapola must be in conversations when you talk about loose heads and, and, and very good ones. Key and Healy as well, the Irishman. I used to love what Tommy Smith did. I used to love uh, watching watching him play and, and and how he did what he did. And and actually, my choice is a link to Bedford Blues, and it's a link because I, I love the way that somehow somehow loose heads can carry a team. And I, I don't I don't mean that you know disrespectfully to any other player on the pitch but sometimes and, and you will know this if if you have in your team at any stage a loose head that is that is a player like this but but Bedford Blues got one back in in sort of 2004 who actually then went on to become uh, a world star someone very very well recognized and he came up through uh, the sort of uh, the Blues team for a, for a couple of years and we held on to him for a couple of years before he trotted down the road to Northampton Saints but he was a player that when you saw him and when he played and when he got the ball and when he ran, usually with about three or four people hanging off him and then was able to offload it, it was magical. It was absolutely extraordinary. And it, and it made the rest of the team, uh, it made it so much easier for the rest of the team to play. And this chap's name was Sawane Tongawiha. And he was, he, was, he was an extraordinary figure. He, he lost a huge amount of weight going to Northampton. He was a big man when he came to Bedford, but he had hands like, like nobody's business. He, he could throw big passes. He could offload as well as anyone around the corner, out the back. And, and you know, for a big man, uh, for a big, huge personality, and he was, he's, a, he's, an, he's an absolute giant, gentle giant. He really is a lovely man. I was fortunate enough to be asked to sort of do Fairmount for his testimony in Northampton. He's a lovely, lovely man. And, and for that reason, for that personal reason, and for anyone who watched Sawane Tongawiha play and, 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 you know, sort of cheered for him, you'll know why he gets the nod, certainly. Yeah, it's a fantastic shout. And do you know what? It's just one of those names that I haven't heard for a while, but while he was <laughs> playing, made such an impact. You know, if uh, uh, you know, if you're ever watching a side play Northampton, 
you knew that he was, you know, he was one of those players you were going to have your eye on all afternoon yeah. because the amount of work he got through in the loose, in the tight, and yeah, you know, just an absolute barrel of energy. And uh, yeah, and, and what, what he did player. for Bedford, of course, was 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 enable because everyone went to him. And then, of course, if you've got a few ball players behind that entity, it, 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 it's it's the distraction. It's that little moment of defenders going to him and his ability to then very quickly shift the ball, even before contact. And all of a sudden, a little bit more space was bought. And, and if you've got players in your team like that, the game suddenly becomes so much easier. Well, great, a great first pick. So, uh, <laughs> Suani Tonga Weir gets the nod in the number one jersey. Uh, let's, uh, let's have a look further down the line into, into the hookers. Yeah, I mean, again, this is a position that had huge amounts of of, of great players down the ages, and and you know, I'd like to start doffing my cap to Brian Moore, really. Not not only as a as an absolutely archetypal hooker, the sort of bloke that you had to have on your team, you would hate to have had on the opposition team, but actually as a broadcaster and a man I've worked with a couple of times, he's an incredibly bright man. I know he doesn't rub everyone up the right way, and I know he probably antagonises some people on, on social media, but he's an ever such a nice man when you get to know him, and I would like to nod to him. He's not the chap who I get to choose. Um, I would say that, that someone like Keith Wood certainly came into it you know that sort of ability to to sort of spring loose and sort of end up and pump the ball down the field 50 yards when you weren't expecting it I used to love that about Keith Wood I used to love that way about the way he played rugby uh, England has some exceptional uh, hookers you know at the moment and and you know I, I certainly could mention someone like Jamie George in 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 a sort of in, in that sort of conversation. But actually the chap I go for is Jamie George's uh, longtime teammate and, and a chap that I spoke to recently and I've spoken to on a couple of occasions and he's genuinely one of the nicest men you could ever, ever speak to on a rugby field or about rugby. And that's Skulk Brits. Mm-hmm. He was an absolutely extraordinary human being on the field, but it actually pales into his insignificance the way he was off the field. I mean, I could tell you a story about Skulk Brits. I will do. I, I was lucky enough to be, I, I was lucky enough to be um, taking the, the plane back from Newcastle. I covered Saracens versus Newcastle, uh, up in Newcastle, and I'd had to get the plane up there because I was a late replacement for somebody who, was, who, who couldn't make the job. And I actually travelled uh, up on the plane. And on the way back, we had to get the, 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 the plane back to Heathrow from, from Newcastle on, on the way. And I was with the Saracens team. And it was, it was extraordinary. I was sat, not sat with them, but they were on the same plane as, as I was. And I watched them. What was amazing about that Saracens team was actually I watched the, the, the sort of 45 minutes that we were in the air. They were out of their seats and they were talking to each other about the game. There was about 12 different laptops going through the game that they had just played against Newcastle and each one of them was feeding back to each other. And there was a huge amount of review work that was going on on the plane, which I thought was extraordinary. Everyone, Kevin Sorrell, I remember that one of the backs, uh, 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 vaccine sort of men for, for Saracens for so many years was was going around every single player and his the way he fed back to them was absolutely extraordinary I remember Richard Wigglesworth going around again sort of you know sort of going to junior players younger players and, and talking them through various different things but then when it came to getting off the plane Skulk Brits <laughs> 
took so long getting off the plane because he couldn't stop helping people. He was getting bags down. He was getting people out of their seats. He was helping people along. This massive smile that I know you've all seen. And he was working. Every single person on the plane knew he was on the plane. I, I was surprised that he didn't actually go into the cabin and start helping the captain out of his seat. It was extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. He didn't stop pressing the flesh. He didn't stop working the plane. And he was an absolute gem. And every time I've spoken to him, every time I've seen him with junior players, with young players he he is utterly utterly brilliant and I haven't even spoken about the magic that he used to weave on the pitch and because I don't need to because if you've ever seen Scott Britz play if you you know and you, you see these conversations break out on social media there is such a huge amount of love for the way that he played the game he was such an athlete such a ball player and uh, he just seemed to love the game and for me there is only one person that gets the nod at number two and that is Scott Britz. That's an absolutely superb choice, and uh, I, I, we, I, again, I, I think that's the, that might be the second time he's uh, he's been selected uh, by someone for this, and I can't remember who it was who, who, who selected him first time. I think it might have been Hook actually, and and we we mentioned there that I was really pleased that he got he got a, a, a you know a cameo in the in the winning World Cup side, and yeah. um, you, you know you get the feeling for, and that's backed up by everything you've just said there, as much as anything the energy and the enthusiasm he must bring to a dressing room must be a huge help to, to any yeah. side he's in. Absolutely. I think, I think that was, you know, he, he, he spoke to me recently about, about Saracens and obviously there was a tinge of, of sadness about how it all played out. But my goodness, you know, he, he talked so clearly and so well about, about what that club had done for him and the way that he tried to repay it. And when, and when we talk about rugby and we talk about players, that is the one thing that that every player wants is is reciprocal process from a club, a way that a club works for them and a way that they can work for the club, and and that's how it works the best. And 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 Scott Britz was was an absolute joy, and and you know he kept on going. I, I asked him if he was <laughs> I asked him if he was retired, and there was just the smallest glint in his eyes as if to say. Uh, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> and you know that he could still probably keep going at however old he is at the moment. But uh, yeah, wonderful player. And I'm absolutely delighted to have him in my team. I was going to say, I'm sure there is a side somewhere in uh, around the world that could benefit <laughs> oh, from God. having Scott Brits in it. Huge, but, absolutely. But, but luckily for you, at this moment in time, <laughs> It's your dream 15. So Scout Brits yeah. will be uh, will be in the front row alongside Tawani Tongawir. Uh, yeah. right, completing that, uh, that trio at tight head prop. Now I haven't really talked about my relationship with England because I've talked about I've sort of talked about how I'm a I'm a Wales fan. I'm a, I'm a very unusual Wales fan in so much as I, I don't mind seeing England do well. When Wales play England, I want Wales to win. There's no no question about it. I'm I'm, I'm fervently Welsh when when the two collide. But I, I don't hate England like some Wales fans do. And, and so perhaps through this run-through, you will see, I do have a soft spot for England and English players. And, and, and to a certain extent, I do want to sort of mention two, two people. A, one is Dan Cole, who, again, was lucky enough to, to spend some time with at Bedford Blues. He came uh, on loan from Leicester Tigers back in about 2005, 2006 with, with three other players. And, and he, he had an absolutely wonderful couple of seasons at Bedford Blues. Uh, and I really like him and I really like his sense of humour. It's very dry. It's very funny. He's a real character in the game. And the other one who I think is going to be an absolute world star is Carl Sinclair. Now, I, 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 I perhaps don't think that he he has quite the the same um 
approached the game as Dan Cole, but he's a different sort of player, a different sort of uh, entity altogether. And I think he is going to be very good. And actually, he's not dissimilar to the type, to the person I've actually picked. Um, I could mention uh, Ty Furlong. Uh, I could mention Carl Heyman. When I was when I was thinking about great loose heads, I was thinking about that man and, and, and the way that he came in. And he was he was part of that sort of Toulon French side that was a real dynasty, wasn't he? He was one of the first men into that Toulon side. And I can remember thinking he was a hell of a player. But actually, I've gone for another New Zealander. And again, a guy who I've been fortunate enough to meet and a guy who is so funny and so clever and again, has great hands, great ability. He was much loved at Ulster. Uh, he was, he was, you know, so vociferously supported at Gloucester, and and is now really enjoying himself at Bristol. And that is John O'Foa. I thought he, I think he is a a wonderful tight head, a wonderful exponent of all the different parts. Incredibly well valued by everyone he plays with, and that probably tells you just how good uh, a, an individual he is. So for me, number three shirt goes to John O'Foa. It's very interesting actually seeing the way that this side take. I, I completely agree with all those points you've made about John Ofoa, by the way. But it's also interesting because, you know, when you when you pick a side like this, because it's completely fictional, you know, you can just pick 15, you know, 15 heroes of yours or whatever. But there seems to be a nice balance to this. You know, you've gone for <laughs> you've gone for a, a very an incredibly mobile front row, but the one that will also give you uh, will also give you, uh, you know, a, a good degree of uh, security at set piece as well. I, I, I think so. like, a lot of thought has gone into this, Sam, and I appreciate that. Uh, let, let's see if there's going to be some grunt coming from uh, from behind uh, oh, behind yeah. the front row as well. Who uh, who are the locks you've been looking at? I've actually picked two locks who are who who aren't terribly tall. <laughs> And I, and I say that when I, when I looked at that, I thought, well, those, those guys aren't terribly tall. But for me, I mean, one's an incredibly personal choice. And then one is, is arguably and statistically one of the greatest rugby players ever. Uh, and, and so he for, he, for me, had to go in. I mean, there, is, there are so many choices. That, again, you know, you could go all the way back to the likes of Willie John McBride. You, you could look at, at, at likes, you know, cornerstones like, like Martin Johnson and Paul O'Connell. Certainly, you know, the South African duo. If I was picking a duo from the same team, mm. you'd struggle to go past Matt Field and, and Botha as, as a sort of duo, as a sort of double act. You know, Nowadays, oh, I can't you know, forget John Eels, can you really? I mean, he used to kick at goal. I mean, that that was that was the extraordinary thing that you look at it nowadays. He not only was an extraordinary specimen as a front, as a as a second row, he used to be able to kick goals as well. He was an absolutely brilliant individual. Um, and nowadays, when you look at modern day uh, second rows, which have changed slightly, you know, the likes of Mario Tocho and James Ryan, I think they'll be British and Irish lines. Uh, second rows for, 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 for a wee while. So absolutely brilliant. But the actual guys I've gone for, and, and the, one, the one that I've gone for that you'll all know is Brad Thorne. And, and it, it, you look at Brad Thorne's statistics and you look at, at the way that he, has, uh, that he has done what he's done, um, achieved both codes of the game. <laughs> uh, when he turned up at Leinster, uh, he, he won there as well. An extraordinary exponent for, for New Zealand. Everywhere he's gone uh, and played for, it's been, he's been absolutely brilliant. And the comments that you get about Brad Thorne are absolutely extraordinary. So I would definitely go with him. Hang on a second. I've got a little girl in here who's decided to come in and play the guitar. So excuse me while I just excuse, I'll get her out of here. Hang on a second, I'll come back. Uh, she's leaving. 
I was hoping, I was hoping, for, I was hoping we could have had a little sing song then. <laughs> we could have had a sing song. I'll see you in a bit. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs> I, I hope she hasn't learned any uh, any any rugby drinking songs just yet. So uh... <laughs> not just yet. Not just yet. Um, we'll see. So yeah, I mean, Brad Thorne for me, it, it, I I feel is probably the, the 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 best sort of second row exponent across you know all sort of elements of what he's done and where he's done it. And the other one is an, another New Zealander, a guy who played for Samoa, but a man who has an extraordinary, extraordinary story. And I was lucky enough to get involved with him uh, via Bedford Blues. I mean, he played for Bay of Plenty uh, and won, you know, sort of New Zealand uh, honours down there with them and uh, was basically heading towards the end of his career at the age of 31 when a call came to bring him to Northampton Saints for a couple of seasons just to fill in and and, and sort of basically beat people up in the colours of Northampton Saints. And he came over and did a fantastic job for that. And then Bedford Blues got hold of him at the age of uh, 33 and he was only supposed to play for another couple of years. And I, I don't know of another physical specimen. He went on to play 10 more seasons for Bedford Blues until the age of 43 in the second row, in the back row. Again, he was always first out of the bleep test, always first out of the yo-yo test. He worked incredibly hard. He's had, he, had, he was very fortunate, he says himself, incredibly fortunate to only have one injury throughout the whole of his career, which was breaking a thumb, and that was probably when he was smacking someone in the face. So, you know, he, he, was, he, was, he was an absolute legend of the game, and anyone who's come into the contact with him will know about Paul Tupai and the way that he played the game. And for me, again, personally speaking, uh, he, he's become a friend and, and someone that, that I was, I feel, definitely warrants a place in this because of his story. And it's well worth looking up. I wrote a, I wrote a piece which went around the globe on him. Uh, and, and I was very fortunate to sort of get involved with him in his testimonial year as well. And he's an extraordinary individual. And, uh, and so for me, Paul Tupai and Brad Thorne make up my second row. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a pretty fearsome second row, it has to be said. <laughs> very you know. fearsome second row. Um, I mean, <laughs> they're not tall, but they're no. fearsome. <laughs> and it's it's really interesting because one of the running themes uh, when it comes to when it comes to you know the the, the oh, we must have had about fifteen guests to do, do these now, but one of the running themes has been kind of the longevity of certain All Blacks, and I have this obsession with you know All Blacks who get a hundred caps and stuff like mm. that. You know, when you've got someone in there who. There's yeah. always so much choice, right? And Brad yeah. Thorne again is one of those players who they picked, you know, when he was when he was playing, you know, deep into his thirties, and he carried yeah. on playing club rugby till he was forty. That yeah. that says something about um, about just how an impressive a specimen he is, yeah. and uh, you know, and as a competitor to have done it, league, done it, union. And, it, and it takes so much discipline to stay as fit and as and as and as well as you need to be to play top flight rugby and, and people perhaps don't realize just how much work you have to do every single minute of every single day because it's not just out in the paddock it's not just in the gym it's every single moment of every single day where you have to look after yourself and you have to you know eat well drink well think well and and these guys are ultimate disciplinarians they are they are almost military grade you know sort of exponents of looking after yourself and and that's what it's down to you know it's not just the work out there on the training pitch it's when no one's watching and and that is that's the key for me and to have and to uh, to have managed to have found a, a second row who has more longevity than than Brad Thorne is something impressive because Paul Tupai played for close to 30 years 
Like yeah. an absurd he, amount of time. He 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 had he well we worked it out. I mean he had twenty five years worth of basically top flight games. His first top flight game back in New Zealand against some very scary individuals in you know the Ranfurly Shield yeah. was at about the age of nineteen, and he was still trotting out uh, at the age of forty four, and that is twenty five years, and that's twenty five years not stood out in the wing. That's twenty five years at the coalface in amongst it with boots and fists flying and and as i say the fact that he, he only get he only broke his thumb is is extraordinary and and he i do do look up on it i mean he uh, um he the, the coaches that he had to win the bear plenty were uh schmidt and uh Vern potter right uh and that when when bear plenty won it they were they were coaching him and i got to speak to Vern cotter uh, about him, and he said, "There's just no one like him." And when Vern Cotter says, "There's no one like him," you go, "Oh, right, okay. Well, you'd know." So <laughs> you know, it's it, it is he 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 was, and as I say, then to turn up, um, who was the back row uh, chap in front of Northampton uh, in charge of Northampton Saints? He was a Scottish guy, Budge Poutney. Budge Poutney. Budge Poutney. Now he was a player, and he he asked Paul Tupai over literally to bring some ballast and some some nastiness to that Northampton Saints side. And 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 Tupai was just that. I mean there's a wonderful picture if if you look it up of 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 Paul Tupai with Danny Grucock of all people by the scruff of the neck. Talking and, of nastiness, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And 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 when and when you when you search through it you you realize that this was this was a a policeman. This was a this was a, a warden of of incredible sort of know-how and ability. And yeah, he could probably tell you some pretty nasty stories, but he came through them. Every single battle he came through and he stood tall and and without question of doubt, you know, even my personal connection aside, I think Paul Tupai needs needs a mention anyway. Oh, it's fantastic. And of course his um uh, his son Connor is uh yeah. is kind of coming through the ranks at Northampton as well, which is it's an interesting thing at, at Northampton, you know. I I kind of I love looking at their backline sometimes, and you've got you've got Tupai and Malander and Slight Home all in yeah. there, you know, all in there, and it, it just remind, it reminds me of watching Grayson. You know, watching rugby. And Grayson, yeah, of course, reminds yeah, me of watching yeah. rugby as a, you know as a youngster myself. So it's uh, <laughs> there's, there's, some, there's something I like I really like about that. Well, there's a, there's a school, Northampton uh, uh, Grammar School for Boys, uh, which um, was was onto a good thing. Because it basically allowed all of that Northampton Saints side, that very successful Northampton Saints side, to to basically have a to have their all their boys come through the school, and and we locally would sometimes go over and play uh, NSB uh, and and get absolutely <laughs> annihilated because of the quality that they had. They just had this production line of genes coming through that were able to produce and, and the names that you as you say the names that you sort of would see go hang on a second is your dad yeah my dad's oh right okay fair enough no wonder you can play so yeah i mean it's uh, it, it's it's a production line it certainly is fantastic right moving on to the back row uh, does budge Pountney feature in here no, he doesn't, and, and because there's such a such a quality, such an amount of quality in the back row, I found this absolutely impossible. Um, uh, at six, uh, th- there are some exceptionally good players. I want to mention Dan Lydiot because he he for me 
when Wales were good, uh, really, really good, as in should have really won the World Cup uh, and things didn't quite work out for them because of uh, dear old Sam and, and uh, uh, Alan Rowland. Um, I, I think I think Dan Lydiot would certainly get a mention. Uh, Jerome Kano, Scott Berger, uh, Peter Omani. There are so many, so many good sixes around sort of over the last sort of five, ten years that you could mention. And I, I'm shamed, shamed that I, you know, I can't even sort of, you know, sort of list them all. There's so many good sixes. Uh, uh, Godser as well, that incredible beast out there uh, from the East. Absolutely extraordinary. But the, but the chap who gets it is, a, is an Englishman. And, and he's an Englishman who... It wasn't just the way he played the game; it was it was his demeanour and the fact that he never ever shot his mouth off. He just always got on with things. And for me, the the best number six ever is Richard Hill. He was he was extraordinary for England in a period where they were absolutely brilliant. He was not heralded like some others. He was not talked about like some others. He, he certainly didn't talk about himself like some others. But he was the man. He was the glue that stuck that England team together. He was the man who turned up at every single place that you wanted him to turn up in uh, a bit like my number seven actually I want to talk about turning up uh, and, and for me Richard Hill embodies everything that's good about a blind side and for me he gets the nod do you know I when you're talking earlier about uh, about Wales fans who are you know particularly noisy and boisterous and and kind of anti-England rugby team well I, I would fall into that I would fall into that bracket however yeah. it's testament to players like uh, like Richard Hill and actually Neil Back was another for me mm-hmm. that even when they were playing I couldn't help but have yeah. nothing but admiration you know whereas players no. like Delali I, I knew how brilliant he was but, <laughs> but you he didn't couldn't, like him. <laughs> couldn't help but get under my skin and 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 Johnson likewise you know I just yeah. it, it drove me mad you know um but you can't what, hate whatever Richard shirt they're in. No, you couldn't. It was impossible because his work was just so unfussy. Uh, yeah. That that it was all the work that you wanted someone in your team to do, and and yeah, yeah. and 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 also you got the pleasure of seeing him do it in, in the Red of Alliance as well, yeah. and, and do it incredibly on two. Well, actually, he was on three tours, but but particularly in '97 and '01, he was utterly superb. And, yeah. and I, that that moment where he was, I can't remember the, the Australian's name who elbows him in the. The second test in in uh, in two thousand. Oh yeah, that's the, that was the turning point for me. Uh, yeah. that, it was at that point that things really just started to creak. So yeah, wonderful pick. Uh, I think I de- definitely and and on, on the open side to to complement that. I mean, again, you know, look at sevens down the years. You know, my my first ever seven. You know, I said about closing your eyes. When I when I see a seven shirt, I, <clears> I see it actually in in sort of Barbar's colours, and I, I see the 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 very strange flashing image of Jean Pierre Reeve, and I and I see this wonderful blonde hair, and I and 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 for me that kind of embodies the difference between six and seven. You know, seven was just more conspicuous. You know, six did it undercover and seven did exactly the same job but just out in the open and and for that you know that there's so many great sevens down the years george smith an unbelievable exponent michael jones could could operate on both flanks but was utterly brilliant at seven sam warburton i must mention for you know for what he did but it's actually for me the the only shamefully the only welshman who gets in to my to my pack uh, at seven is a man whose quote stays with me about being an open side and it is something along the lines i may be paraphrasing in a move if i touch the ball five times we score if i touch the ball six times i score 
and that is Martin Williams. And he was, for me, utterly, utterly brilliant and and a, a man who uh, just made me very, very pleased to be supporting Wales. And when he started doing his stuff, it had been a long time you know, since I'd been able to really be super, super proud of supporting Wales. And, you know, the nugget was the man. He really was. And 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 to put Hill and Martin Williams together, you know, sort of just reminds me of of some of the best rugby feelings that I have. You know, those sort of Lions teams. That that's that's where it was for me. And 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 those two have to be together. I would love to see as well the the kind of real vintage Hill circa 01 to 03 yeah. and Williams circa 05 would yeah. just be the absolute dream because I, I feel like when Williams was at his best on the it was for later Lions tours and when yeah, Hill when Hill was at his best it was it was in those those previous Slightly ones earlier, yeah. yeah so to see them play together in their in their pomp would be uh, would be an absolute dream and properly complement each other as well I'm looking forward to seeing who the eight is by the way well the eight. <sighs> Again, there were just it was just so many, and you know, again, if I apply the idea of closing my eyes, you you think of someone like Parise, you think of someone like PSB. PSB somehow comes into my. I don't know where that comes from. I'm I'm weirded out by that. I think that's some sort of homoerotic thing that I've got about PSBs. I, I don't. I, he he wasn't even possibly arguably the greatest South African mate, and yet he's in my conversation. I don't know. Harren Ordeki. I'll skip on from that. That's a bit weird. Uh, Harren Ordeki. Uh, Toby Falatau, certainly for me. Um, but you, you then come back to moments that are etched into your psyche. And things that happen out on a rugby pitch that shouldn't really happen out on a rugby pitch. And what I mean by that is when players do something, I talked about Keith Wood punting the ball down the right. field, but you, you know where I'm going with this. I'm when, guessing when player, Yeah, when a, when a player, you know, kicks a goal like that, which there's absolutely no reason to do it. It is, it is you just suddenly go, I love you. And and that and that was in Zambrook and 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 not only was he obviously brilliant at being a number eight, but obviously the ball skills and the, the qualities that he had were quite extraordinary. And then the sheer chutzpah to give it a go as well, you know. I just I just loved it. It was it was magical. And and when I closed my eyes and when I think about number eights, Zinzanbrook is never too far away from 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 you know sort of my my memory. And 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 for that, and just the fact of saying Richard Hill, Martin Williams, and Zinzanbrook <laughs> in the same back row, it has to complete it. You could make an argument for other people, but for me, Zinzanbrook gets the nod. We uh, just yeah just to, to build on that point about seeing uh, seeing Zinzanbrook you know do things that you wouldn't expect from a number eight we had uh, we had the former Neath uh, and Ospreys and, and Newport fly half Sean Connor on at the start of yeah. the series and he uh, uh, early on in his career went off on loan to Harlequins when Zinzan was there and okay. uh, and Sean was practicing restarts and Zinzan came over and he said I'll, I'll handle this and, and he took over the the, uh, the 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 actual kicking of the restarts not getting not getting the forwards in position but he was like I'll, I'll handle the restarts because that's how good I am and yeah, uh, yeah. And that, that kind of says it all about Zinzan to me yeah absolutely a, a, a wonderful you know there's few people that you can use the word icon about but he he was definitely an, an icon a rugby icon for me Absolutely. Well, a fantastic pack, and I look forward to seeing who will be uh, who will be joining them in the backs, and we'll be doing that after this very very short break.
Right, time now, Sam, for you to uh, reveal who has made it into your uh, into your back division. Of course, we'll be starting with uh, with Scrum Half, that fantastic link between forwards and backs. Uh, but before we do that, you've recently, uh, with your with your rugby world hat on, uh, been speaking to arguably the the greatest of them all. Uh, tell us, uh, just tell us a little bit about the the podcast you've recorded with uh, with Sir Gareth Edwards. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, there's no spoiler here. I mean, he, he gets my nod um, uh, <laughs> as number nine. Uh, although, although there are some incredibly good nines out there, and I'll probably list them all. But that, that I have to say, was was a little bit of a career highlight. I mean, I, I, I grew up, um, as I mentioned in the podcast, with a VHS tape of, of the 1973 Barbarians versus All Blacks game. I much must have watched it, you know, sort of pretty much every day before school, uh, and and you pretty much every every blade of grass there was on that day, and it was such a such an affirming part of of my rugby sort of education, uh, and 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 to then to to sort of talk to Sir Gareth Edwards and not only talk to him. But also talk him through that game and talk to him about the personalities, about the people, about the way that he did it, and to hear some absolutely wonderful sort of bits of information of the fact that they all walked to the game on the morning. And they, I just love this idea that they sort of put their backs, their their, their bags on their back, and and tottered out the uh, uh, out of out of the hotel and, and sort of walked to Cardiff Arms Park. And I, I, I thought, well, of course you did. <laughs> I, I'm applying today's logic to the idea that maybe you went on a bus, but no, of course you didn't. You walked and, and, and that was how it was. And yeah, I mean, it was an absolute joy. I mean, that, that podcast series is more than just that interview with Sir Gareth Edwards. I mean, there's, I've been lucky enough to speak to some absolutely brilliant characters and, and, and I don't want to advertise one podcast on, on another, but certainly if you are interested in, in hearing about just from one player about one particular game and the way they thought about it we, we've got modern people on there like uh, tom curry and uh, you know as i say i've spoken recently to it to a few more modern players but we go back in time a little bit you know with with, with certain people and and you know it, it just games that stand out moments that stand out talking about to, to james simpson daniel about skinning jonah lomu and and how he wish he perhaps hadn't done it at one stage it was it was absolutely fantastic and i, I do recommend it it's it's an interesting one it's slightly different it's more of a radio program than a podcast but yeah it's like it's slightly different but uh, yeah so Gareth Edwards was the uh, was the cherry on on top of the cake uh, on top of the cake. He 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 definitely gets in there as number nine. I could mention you know sort of Yus van der Vestes, and you could mention people like Gus Pichot purely for what they did for their individual countries and how they did it. Um, when I was going through the list, I, I, I was suddenly reminded just how lucky South Africa are at the moment to have basically the three, arguably three of the very best uh, scrum halves at the moment, Fafta Clerk, Gobus Reinach and, and Francois Huha, uh, amongst others. I mean, they, they've, they've got others in there as well. They've got a, a real good roster. When I close my eyes, Nick Farr-Jones, uh, I see a little bit. But how can you possibly, you know, sort of ignore <laughs> Sir Gareth Edwards? What he did, how he did it, how he played the game, I understand from people who played with him and watched him do with him. He he was years ahead of his time as far as uh, as far as the way that he disciplined himself, the way that he conditioned himself, the way that he he wanted to play the game and and, and train, and and for that reason and the fact that he's a he's a lovely man 
uh, he definitely gets the nod at nine. I, I can't imagine that you're going to disagree with me. No, I'm not going to disagree with you at all. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to disagree with you at all. But um, yeah, I, what I, all I would add to that is that uh, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, listening to listening to those podcasts. So uh, yeah, it's uh, by no means uh, an advertisement. Anyone uh, anyone who, who loves the rugby, uh, I'm, I'm sure will enjoy them as much as uh, as much as we did. So yeah, do make no, sure you right. check them out. Uh, right. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like you could pick anyone at, at ten to play uh, alongside Gareth Edwards, but. Uh, I, I get the feeling it's not going to be a kicking ten. <laughs> yeah, well, he could kick, uh, but it's it, it's yeah. When I look at this back line, I, I think yeah, I've got no option to kick the ball. I just got to run it from everywhere, basically. Uh, but you know, uh, that's the way we love the game, isn't it? And, and that's the way the game should be played. Um, yes, I know um, to a certain extent there is um, a definite. <laughs> idea about placing the ball in the right place and, and playing from the right areas of the field and of course a good kicking to 10 can do that for you but um you'll be glad you'll be glad to hear there was a huge amount more uh, welshman in my back line <laughs> than there was in my forward pack and and it doesn't go too far from here really um i i have an affinity with danny cipriani and he should get a mention because he's an extraordinary player he's an extraordinary bloke um very very precious talent danny cipriani mm. and the way he plays what he sees um, is extraordinary. Um, he genuinely does live right on the edge on a rugby field and he uses every single one of his senses to try and play. And I love Danny Cipriani's vulnerability. And it seems a strange thing to talk about vulnerability with rugby players, but he is a vulnerable man. And you've got to love that. You, you, to be a good 10, I think, you, you, you kind of got to give the opposition a sniff and you've got to make them think as though they can get one over on you. And, and Cipriani's that. And the reason he's able to do some of the things that he does is because he commits people into, into thinking that they can undo him and he will then do something extraordinary. And so for, for me, Danny Cipriani is wonderful, wonderful to watch again, Australian Michael Liner. I thought he was a brilliant individual I, you've got to mention Phil Bennett for not tackling, really. I mean, I built my game on Phil Bennett's game. I, I remember how to, we had another Bar Bars uh, VHS, and I watched a game between Fiji and the Bar Bars where Phil Bennett ran sideways to avoid tackling Fijians. And I thought, well, that, that seems like a good idea to do. I built my game on that idea. So he definitely gets a mention. But the guy that I would play at number 10, Without a shadow of a doubt, when you look at what he did, and again, this is a reference to both codes, but what he did, what he was able to do, the joy that he brought to a Welsh team that was short on joyful opportunities at the time that he was playing is the reason, the sole reason everyone in red fell in love with him, and it's Jonathan Davis. He was, he was an utterly gifted utterly gifted player and one that I could I wish that I could watch in in perpetuity I really do wish that he could just get Jonathan Davis playing the game forever because he was he was a joy an utter joy to watch well, this is the third week in the row, actually. That, uh, oh, no. Today. No, well, actually, no, I tell a lie. He wasn't picked last week. Rupert Moon opted not to pick him <laughs> and, went for, and went for Colin Stevens, who, again, is a, a, oh, a okay. mercurial talent uh, for Lethley. But, yeah, the week before, uh, the week before, Phil Davis did go for him, uh, I think, with him being his brother-in-law as well. Yeah, he perhaps felt like he of, had to. But, um, to. but, you know, what? It's, it, again, it's, it's testament to if anyone who spent any time watching Jonathan Davis play... Um, and uh, there's no real need to say in his prime because there was only that really that one season yeah. where he came back afterwards where he's perhaps a little um, yeah. 
you know, a little off his best. And even then, he was still a fantastic player. And um, just, yeah, the, the speed, the ball skills, the ability to to kind of go over and do it at both codes with, with uh, well, I say with ease, that, that says like, it, you know, he wasn't putting the effort in off the pitch. He made it look he easy. Did. He made it look easy. That's exactly it. Yeah, and, and a, a joy to watch. And The I just speed as the well, service. you know. The, the, the service from Gareth Edwards to him. <laughs> Can you imagine giving him a bit of space? Utterly brilliant, absolutely fantastic. And of course, you know, he was he was a fine, you know, distributor of the ball as well. You know, he 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 could do it all, you know, and he could kick and he 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 had that part of the game of him. I for me, absolutely brilliant. And and yeah, to, to, I, how can you not have a Welsh nine and ten in the, in this dream team that I'm creating? <laughs> it would be I would be banned, wouldn't I, if I didn't have that. That's a, that's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful combination. <laughs> right, let's uh, let us go to the wing now. Let's see okay. who uh, the contenders for the number eleven jersey were. Um, there weren't any. Uh, there, there is only one name uh, for this, and he again uh, for me makes me feel a bit emotional when I watch him uh, because uh, there were so many times that he delivered. There were so many times that he did things and was able to do things, and and for me. My major memory of this chap is not to do with him scoring a try, and yet he scored so many, so many tries. But my major memory of this chap is a pass that he threw against England back inside to Stephen Jones in the Rugby World Cup. And it it was so joyous and so full of trust and knowledge of somebody being there and there was so much impishness to it. There was so much, there was so much about his game that it sort of encapsulated. And that's what I think of when I think of a number 11 and I think of somebody, you know, working off right-hand passes and being able to exploit space and being able to do things that there isn't any choice. I mean, there are some incredible wingers out there and I'm, I'm probably ignoring the chance to, to put in, and you shamefully, I, I don't put Jonah Lomu in my side, despite the fact that he changed the game. But I, I don't put him in the side because of because of my love for the game. But but Shane Williams was utterly brilliant, and whenever I refer to him, I refer to him as Ickle Shane because he is he was just that in a land of giants. He was big, but he was small, and and that and that and that for me does it. And and do you know the pass I'm talking about? Do I you know, know exactly the pass. I've wa- I've watched it a million times on YouTube, and I remember it happening at the time. And uh, I remember um, it happening at the time. Yeah. And and it was a move, and it was a it was a moment that that lifted my heart like few others on a uh, on an international rugby pitch. Um, and he scored some incredible try. I remember him scoring that try, that last minute try against Scotland uh, in the Six Nations that was mm-hmm. coming and coming, and we broke their hearts. Um, he scored some incredible tries. Um, but that, that, that one in particular was, uh, I mean, I, I, do you know what? There's, there's too many brilliant ones to choose from. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was in the stadium that day in, uh, in, in 2010 against Scotland and having watched phase after phase of us breaking down this 13 man yeah. Scotland side at that point, I turned to my brother and I went, drop goal, drop goal. And <laughs> just a shame was, a shame was going out. And yeah, fortunately, I still feel privileged to have been in the stadium just to hear the reaction. But I didn't actually, I didn't actually see it as he dived over. Um, no. Yeah, which, which is a, a small regret. But yeah, I mean, just the, you've, you've mentioned it there. This, this whole series has been about the players who bring you joy. And yeah. it's hard to think of many who have brought more people joy uh, than yeah. Shane Williams. Yeah, and, and, and my back three is ridiculously light. I mean, my back three is so 
small that it's you know it's it would never stand the test yeah you put it out i mean people perhaps would say yeah i can see where you come to that but you've got to have some ballast you'd have to have centers that were about six foot five and 23 stone each to work with this back three to to allow you to have this sort of lightweight back three and i haven't got that in my centers so i don't know i don't know maybe there's something wrong with me maybe i need maybe i need uh talking to about how you put a rugby side together but my my back three is 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 all about pace, space, and there's nothing more electrifying than seeing somebody, you know, beaten and and using footwork and and speed of thought and speed of movement to to, to create some 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 opportunity for themselves. And my back three is all about that. Fantastic. Well, I tell you what, let's hold back on the back three for the time being and find yeah. out who these not so giant centres are as well. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's go. Let's go for inside centre first. Well, inside centre again is a very personal choice, and it's a personal choice because he has a wonderful story attached to it, and it just gives me a chance to talk to it, uh, talk to you about the story. Um, and it's it's one of strange redemption, and 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 then coupled with the fact that I can also throw in the idea of women's lingerie as well. Um, the, the 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 number twelve that I pick uh, was a chap who didn't actually bizarrely play a huge amount of, of games at twelve for uh, Bedford Blues when he played. Uh, he played more at ten or thirteen. He plays a huge amount of twelve at the moment now. He's probably settled into that a little bit. Um, but this chap was was released from from Leicester Tigers uh, and uh, didn't get a, a sort of a, a contract and was pretty devastated and uh, came to try out uh, via what was called well it still is the Mobs Memorial match, which is where the Barbarians play one of either uh, Bedford or Northampton. It used to be a combined team of, of the two of them, and he played for the Barbarians against Bedford Blues against Mike Reyes Bedford Blues. And uh, he played, and he, he played awfully. He didn't play very well at all. And uh, it was his audition to get a contract with Bedford Blues, and, and Mike Rare said, uh, no, sorry, it weren't good enough. I'm not interested. And Andy Key, who was uh, the, the, the chap behind the Leicester Tigers Academy at the time, picked up the phone to, to, to uh, Mike Rare and said, no, you, you've got to give this guy a chance. He, he's, he's got talent. He's got ability. You've got to give him a chance. And Mike looked at his roster, looked at his the amount that he had in his in his uh, in his bank account, as it were, to spend on players, and said, "Okay, well, I'll offer him this. That's what I can give him. I can give him that." And uh, he was last in the hutch, as it were. And um, when it came to sponsoring players, Bedford Blues had just started this idea, which is pretty prevalent at most clubs nowadays, of of, of, of allocating a local business to sponsor a player. And when when that player scores. The business gets mentioned over the tannoy, and, and you know, sort of three thousand, four thousand people, however many are in the ground, two thousand, whatever it is, you sort of hear the sponsorship association with that player. You're only allowed to say it when they score, and so you know, you know, sort of the, the, the wingers and the, and the fullback and the the, the 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 you know the sort of perhaps the back row forwards who, who, who profit from from roll, uh, from from rolling malls. You know, go first, and then then everyone else goes through. And there was a woman, a local businesswoman called, um, I, I don't actually know her full name, I, f- forgive me, but she was, the business was called Amanda Jane Lingerie. And, um, and she was desperate to, to give her money to the club. It was about 500 quid to sponsor a player. And the club wasn't quite sure. You know, normally you have sort of accountancy firms and, you know, sort of finance directors and, and sort of, you know, various different, um, you know, sort of local um, 
uh, garages and things like that, you know, sort of sponsoring these players. And Amanda Jane Lingerie, we'd never had a lingerie company sponsor a rugby player. It was sort of almost incongruous, almost always at odds with the idea of rugby that we would we'd give something that was so much for a women's market. But she was desperate and she was kept on ringing up and knocking on the door. I said, look, I've got 500 quid. Give it to me. Give me a player. And Mike Ray said to uh, Billy Twelve Trees, Billy, you're new at the club. Do you mind, would you mind being sponsored by this company, Amanda Jane Lingerie? And Billy, in the way that he, he would have done, said, oh, yeah, no problem at all. No, it doesn't bother me. And so there I was as the PA announcer for Bedford Blues in this season. And I noticed that this player, Billy Twelve Trees, who we hadn't really known a huge amount about, was sponsored by Amanda, Amanda Jane Lingerie. I thought it would be funny, wouldn't it? If he, if he scores a try, I have to announce bras and knickers to, you know, 3,000 uh, old men with beers in their hands who will find it obviously quite titillating and quite funny. Uh, the first game that Billy Twelve Trees played in, he scored four tries. And the, the, the love affair with Billy Twelve Trees and Knickers and Bras started then. And he went on to have an incredible season where he scored more points than, than he knew what to do with. At one point, he was taking conversions for Bedford. And over on the far left-hand touchline, he, he was attempting a conversion against a, a team in the championship. And on his run-up, the ball fell over. He picked it up and slotted the drop goal from the left-hand touchline. And and this was this was a person who who we we basically said no to, and lo and behold, he had the best season for Bedford Blues. Bedford had an incredible uh, incredible season. You know, played uh, some absolutely electric rugby under Mike Rayer, arguably one of his best seasons ever. And and Billy Twelve Trees got picked up by by Leicester, and within back picked up back by Leicester. There, there, there wasn't a loan agreement. He, he was out of contract by Leicester. He went to Bedford, played, and Leicester bought him back again. And he then went on to Leicester, played against that wonderful game against the Ospreys, got into the England side, got into the British and Irish Lions uh, squad as well, and went on to do what he did. And it, it's, it's a tale of redemption. It's a tale of somehow that rugby can give you moments where if you look at the right opportunity and if you take it, it can bounce you back into where you want to be. And I think it's an absolutely extraordinary story. And for me, uh, when I wrote about Billy Twelve Trees, he was the first man I ever wrote about really properly. My, my, my piece that I wrote for, for Bedford Blues got stolen by the rugby paper and put in their paper as a double-page spread and attributed to someone else, and I'm still angry with them about it. Uh, but uh, that is why Billy Twelve Trees gets my nod, not necessarily because he's the greatest 12 that ever played the game. He's a very, very good 12, an exceptionally gifted ball player, someone who... I've spoken to a number of occasions. He does struggle mentally with the side of the game. He beats himself up more than anyone else I've ever, ever met. I, I, I put him in the side, A, to tell him that I think he was a great player and hopefully it helps his self-esteem, and B, for that story, that moment of redemption and that, story, that, that way that shows you that, that rugby can, can do things for you and, and you know, bras and knickers and all that. I think that's fun. I was going to say, yeah, not to mention what he must have done to the uh, to the local economy and. Uh, oh, she uh, went. She she was delighted. Absolutely oh, delighted. <laughs> I like to th- I like to think you uh, you kind of working your way through various different items in those four tries as well. You know, by the time the fourth one's gone, we're into stockings and suspenders and God knows what. But, Can uh, you imagine? I, that would have been a brilliant idea. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> awesome, Billy Twelve Trees at twelve, and a fantastic story to go with it. Uh, what about what about outside centre? Again, not much choice, really. Again, one moment uh, in an outside centre shirt, uh, shirt that 
really is emblazoned on my memory. Um, I could have mentioned uh, Jeremy Guscott, who I thought was uh, glorious to watch, absolute prince among centres. Uh, Philippe Seller as well. A big part of growing up was was watching him do what he did for France and, and that French side that used to run in tries from its own 22. Modern day, I think the, there's a lot of contention around uh, great 13s. And, and if I can just be sort of focused on, on England and English rugby for anyone who's, who's focusing on that, there's a lot of ideas as to how England will play their centres. There's one centre who is absolutely brilliant for me at 13 he, and he looks as though he's fallen out of favour and that's Jonathan Joseph he is an absolutely brilliant 13 he really is everything that you would want in a 13 great defender great ball player amazing distributor fantastic hands um and you know obviously can glide around people like they're, they're, they're not really there but for me the best 13 is is all down to a moment for the Lions mm. and and weaving his way through Australia and into my heart was Brian O'Driscoll. And, and for that reason alone, he gets it and will never have it taken off him. He is, for me, the best 13 the Northern Hemisphere has certainly ever seen, if not the world. Uh, and, and I think, for me, Brian O'Driscoll must get the 13 shirt. It's a, yeah, it's a, I mean... When it when it comes to when it comes to talking about great thirteens of uh, of recent years, you know he, he is well. No, he, he will go down as an all time great. There's no denying it. Mm. But but concentrating on that that moment in particular, that that try against Australia, and I watched it back again. Uh, you know, I, I think Sky were, were reshowing some of these yeah. games, and I saw the clip on social media and listened to it again. And you hear Miles Harrison's voice as he crosses the line, and yeah. he, he says, "Oh, you beauty!" like yeah. that. And you know, again, it must be it must be a difficult thing when you're in those when you're in the commentary box and you know you know deep inside that you're that you're mm. a fan but you're you're being paid to to commentate on that game as an impartial as an impartial voice is that something you, you know you've ever you've ever found difficult yeah or, uh, yeah really? yeah to a certain extent yeah I mean I don't know whether or not <laughs> commentating on the Lions uh, <laughs> for a British um, uh, sort of uh, broadcasting uh, organisation, uh, I think you could perhaps let yourself go a little bit. I'm not, I, I do, I do think that maybe you could, you could give that a go. And, and again, you wouldn't, you wouldn't begrudge the same happening with an Australian or New Zealand or South African broadcaster doing the same sort of thing and understand. And again, you think of amazing sporting moments. You know that that is why. Uh, you know, test match special uh, sort of gives itself yeah. because because of the way it is. It is just slightly lent towards something. Sort of but you know what? Yeah, it is. A, it is about. It is about trying to remain impartial. But you know, Miles Harrison is 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 not exclaiming there about the fact that he's the British and Irish Lions mm. player. He's exclaiming there because of sport. He's exclaiming because of the fact that sport has given that, the rugby has given him that. And, you know, I, I, I can remember feeling that about certain things that I've seen, you know, sort of teams that I haven't supported or haven't got anything about. Sport does that to you. When you, when you are gifted the opportunity to sit and watch a game as a commentator, um, you can only respond to the sport and, and the way that it the way that it that it that it does what it does. Um, and you know that that is that is what's coming through there. I, I'm I'm not sure whether or not it, it's anything more than just delight at having yeah. such a sporting moment being presented to you. Um, but personally speaking, and I've 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 had a few nightmares where um, 
where I, I've called players, you know, sort of nicknames, which is horrendous, and I, I hate doing it. Uh, but I, I'm 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 good friends with a chap called called Will Chudley, and every time I speak to him on the phone, and we, we you know sort of we know each other's families and, and things like that, I call him Chuds, and unfortunately I refer to him as Chuds on a on a on a on a commentary match, which I which I which still makes me wince inside. I hated it, but you know that's the way the brain works, and sometimes it throws out things, and you've got to be careful. You've got to you've got to be you've got to be conscious of it. Um, yeah, you, you are supposed to be um, impartial, but um, but you know we're there because we love the sport, and when sport throws up great moments. I'm not surprised that you get carried away with it. Do you know what I think? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And, and you know, it was in no way meant as a, a criticism of Miles no, Harrison. No, no, I know, you, I know it wasn't. You felt, no, you it felt wasn't. like it's, um, you know, it, he's just, yeah, he is experiencing the joy that, that everyone yeah. uh, that everyone is experiencing at that moment. And you touched on the, the, the a couple of examples in, in cricket there. And there's a few times that I can think of that the, the cricket commentary has really um, you know the commentary is added to the occasion, yeah. uh, and I, you know, I think back to that Ashes series of '05 and, and yeah. Richie Geno uh, at uh, Edgebaston when Kasparovich is caught behind, and he just yeah. and he's watching it. He just he just says Jones, Kasparovich, Bowden, and it's just really, he just says three <laughs> words. But it, it, you know the, the emotion yeah. is, is all there. And again, you know that's that's his side losing, but he doesn't let it get in the way. And no. Ian Smith on the uh, on the oh, yeah. last year, that you know the sheer the the professionalism to be able to you know never resorted to sour grapes of uh, no, the, but no, at no point was he saying how can we not have won this because this this isn't fair. He was just but, commenting on the emotion but that's, of it. But that's because he's a cricket fan first, and I don't, I don't mean that to disparage your point because I I get why you're saying it and I understand it. But us commentators, we we're, we're fans of the sport, and when the sport doesn't matter who's playing. It doesn't matter who it is. If the sport serves up something as incredible as that, you can't help but be joyous about it. And I, I defy Ian Smith to, 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 to genuinely say that he wasn't joyous. Not, not, not because he's a New Zealander, and, but, but joyous because he'd been part of something which was, uh, you know, that touched everyone and, and, and reached into everyone's sporting being. And I think that... That is that is that is that is what 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 really sort of drives it, and 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 that's what makes sport so incredible. And over the last few months, when we haven't had sport, you 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 really you really get to feel that, and you really get to know that so much more. Um, and it's it's a really it's a really interesting thing, you know, when we've had it taken away from us, and we've had we've had this. A sort of feeling of of, of emptiness, uh, and and I know that I felt you know the way I felt not only obviously because everything else is happening in the world, but because sport has been taken away from us. I, I, it plays such an important role. It really does. I don't want to get my soapbox, but it does. It no, does. you're absolutely right. And do you know what? Uh, to to bring it back to Brian O'Driscoll, he's he's bought more moments like that oh, to, yeah. to, to fans uh, of of his sides than 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 many. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, I mean, they're not than any, really. Yeah, and and you know when you look at moments like that that Brian O'Driscoll did, you know, even Australians, you know, they 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 will say that that they 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 will watch that and they will hold their hands up and say that was a great moment. Mm. And, and if you can get Australians doing that, then it must be good. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic stuff, right? Let's see who completes this side, and uh, you've, you've promised oh, yeah. us some diminutive back three players. Let's uh, <laughs> let's start with the fourteen. Yeah. Well, because because Jonah Lomu should be in any side because Jonah Lomu was an incredible human being who who changed the sport 
beyond recognition and and brought such uh, such a new way of thinking about it. And and he was he was a genius. He should be in this. He's not in my side. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, but he's not in my side. And the reason he's not in my side is because of someone called Christian Cullen. And Christian Cullen was 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 a man who you could watch run. Uh, for forever, you could watch him sprint. I don't know what it was about his gait, and I don't know what it was about the way he moved across the field. But every time he did it, you were mesmerised. And I don't know whether it's to do with a rhythm or a beat or something that connected inside of your, you know, your your prefrontal cortex or something that happened. The, Christian Cullen was mesmeric, and and he whenever he touched the ball and whenever and I sometimes I'm very sad I sometimes just go on and I type into YouTube Christian Cullen highlights I sometimes go on and do that just when I'm feeling low about rugby you go and watch him run with the ball uh, especially in that oversized shirt that he used to wear which used to tag him down by about two miles an hour I would have thought he would have been a lot faster if he'd been wearing a sail um you know it was he he is absolutely extraordinary and and I loved I loved what he did I I love watching people nowadays like Johnny May (laughs) because no one knows what Johnny May's going to do. He's he's an incredible. He's a he's a he's a he's a nutcase. And I love watching Johnny May do what he does. Uh, I love watching David Campesi do what he did. Uh, I loved you, you know. Again, you close your eyes. You think about people. There was a chap called Simon Gagan. Remember him in the Irish? Yeah, yeah. He he was he was he was a guy who seemed to look as though anyone could give it a go and if you had enough belief and enough talent yeah give it a go get over the line and and that was fantastic and you know christian christian cullen was he was five star he he just i can't i can't think of a metaphor really to do justice to christian cullen um and he, he perhaps could have got in at 15 but the reason he's on the wing is because there's another absolute genius at 15 at running and i've well, got i was going to say Shane like, Williams, i've got christian cullen and i've got i've got a 15 which is which 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 is you know even as good you know and 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 you think wow you know they they, they may not have been terribly good under high but well, no christian cullen was good under high ball i mean they weren't big but my word they were extraordinary and and this back three shane williams and christian cullen and this fullback that i've got yeah unbelievable well, he's going to have to be good to be shunting Christian Cullen out to the, out to the wing. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see who you've gone for. Well, I, when I think about 15s, uh, again, I'm drawn to people who run with the ball. M- many people would say 15 is about being safe and secure and last line of defence and big boot and you know clearing your lines and all those things. Rubbish. I, I just, I just think you get an extra opportunity to try and find a hole in the fence, you know. And for that, for that reason, names like. Matthew Morgan uh, do come into the reckoning because he he just was a was a chap who 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 was able to find things and find holes and find space and an absolute joyous to watch. Nick Abendanen, Nick Abendanen was a guy who ran like Christian Cullen. Right. He has a similar sort of gait, a similar sort of ability, and he was wonderful to watch. I can't pass up the chat the chance to, to talk about Serge Blanco as well. Uh, Obviously, you talk about the 73 side. You know, JPR was an extraordinary uh, fullback, but, you know, he was a different entity. And, and I, I can't get away from this, this idea of, of running and scoring fullbacks. Modern day premiership, you look at someone like Charles Piatau, you look at Toulouse Veanu, again, people who were able to, 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 to create something almost out of nothing. But the chap who completes my team 
and, and, and completes this very lightweight but incredibly gifted and skillful back three is Jason Robinson. And when he came onto the side and when he started to um, put his foot down and accelerate through gaps, um, there was nothing quite like it. And although I watched the 2003 World Cup with a slight feeling of um, uh, not wanting to, to sort of fully join in, I, I, you couldn't... Jason Robinson was one of the players, a bit like Richard Hill. He was one of the players who made you think, yeah, I, I, I can warm to this English side. And, and, and for him, you know, to do what he did and, 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 and play the game that he played, I, I, for me, he gets in my side. Yeah, Billy Wiz rounds off uh, the 15 uh, perfectly for me. Uh, he, he, is, he is the guy that I would put in there. And, and yeah, I, I, go and play, boys. That's what I'd say to this lot. Go and play. Go <laughs> chuck the ball around. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, there's no need. There's no need to tell them anything else. And, and I tell you what, with that pack, I think they're going to be having plenty of ball. Uh, plenty of ball come their way as well. So yeah, Jason Robinson completes the side. Just to uh, just to recap, then in the pack we've got Siani Tongawea, Skulk Brits, John Afoa, Brad Thorne, Paul Tupai, Richard Hill, Martin Williams, and Zambrook. In the backs, Gareth Edwards, Jonathan Davies, Shane Williams. Billy Twelve Trees, Brian O'Driscoll, Christian Cullen, and Jason Robinson. Right. All that remains is a, a few final questions. Then, Sam. So, you you do get to choose a captain out of this uh, out of this this lot. And uh, my God, there's a few there's a few uh, outstanding <laughs> candidates in there. There are. Um, I don't think you probably need a captain, do you? I mean, they they all head in the same direction. They all know what they're they're going to do. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. You look at that pack. You, you you'd have trouble sort of resting it off uh, people like Zinzan Brook and Brad Thorne, wouldn't you? Really. Uh, but you know. Uh, You've got to give it to the to the grandfather of the whole operation, haven't you? You've got to give it to the fulcrum. You've got to give it to the man who did more for for the game than perhaps anyone else, and that is Sir Gareth Edwards. So yeah, definitely, definitely him. So Gareth will skip the side. Uh, you also yep. get to choose the opposition. Which uh, side from history would you like to uh, to, to set this oh. this team out against? Uh, that's a very difficult question. I. I, I, I don't I don't really I don't really know the answer. I mean, the the, the Welshman in me would, would say I love them to take on the you know the sort of England two thousand and three side oh. uh, mainly just to see whether or not they could beat them and, and shut Sir Clive Woodward up. But um, uh, yeah, no, I, I I perhaps would would like to, to to see them take on that side or indeed. Um, yeah, you, you go back to sides. Maybe you'd like to see them take on the seventy-three barbarians as well, um, and see how that how that came about. Different eras, different ideas, different people, but it would be fascinating to watch. It certainly would, and I love the thought of uh, yeah, yeah. If you if you go for the seventy-three barbarians, I love the thought of either Gareth Edwards playing on both sides, or, <laughs> or better still. Uh, Chico Hopkins getting the getting the call up and having to pull on the barbar shirt because you've uh, you've bagged to Gareth for your I like side. That. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Let's go to that. Right then, you also get to choose the uh, the the kit that uh, that this side would wear. Is there mm-hmm. is there um obviously you, you've mentioned uh, your strong affiliation to Bedford Blues. Is there is there yeah. any other any other colours that you'd like to see them in? No, I don't think so. Um, as I say, that that club has given me a huge amount, and uh, you know. Um, the president of the club, another Welshman called Gareth Davis, who is a dear, dear friend of mine. Um, he was kit man and, and president of Bedford Blues for, well, he's been involved in the, in the with the club for the best part of 50 years. And, and he says, you know, um, uh, the club has still given me more than, than, than I have given the club. And, um, and that's true. 
and that's what a proper rugby club does and a proper rugby club is able to do and so yeah it would be an absolute pleasure to not only you know sort of you know get them to play in Bedford Blues kit but if I could you know get them to play at Goldington Road as well um, pack that in and, and get all those people who've enjoyed watching watching a side like Bedford Blues down the years and get involved I'd love that and, and Mike Rare wouldn't be too far away from coaching them either so there you go there you go <laughs> That's a, that is a, that's a, a wonderful uh, yeah a wonderful way to finish. So yeah, we'll we'll get the temporary stands down and uh, and make <laughs> the capacity of Goldington Road as, as big as we possibly can. Sam, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you very much for joining us on the Attacking Scrum. It's been a pleasure, Jed. Thank you. Podcast Network.